This is Mackenzie Milton, and you're listening to One Night Stand. Chomp with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh-huh. Chomp with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then okay, pop Okay, we poppin' champagne like we won a championship game. Look like I got on a championship game. Cause I ball hard. Don't be by harder. I am the bird man. This is One Night Stand presented by Seat Geek. As always, use promo code UCF Problems. One word. Get your family weekend night game Yukon tickets for twenty dollars off. New users only. That's promo code UCF Problems for twenty dollars off your purchase on Seat Geek. What up, night fans? It's Wednesday, September twenty fifth. On today's show, we recap our trip to Pitt. We talk about the actual game, which I know, guys, it hurt. Trust me, it really hurt, especially the ending. But it's our first regular season loss in three years. Let that sink in. We promise you, we're going to be fine, and we will get to that in a little bit. Also, we have analytics expert Squints on the show to talk about what the heck actually happened. Uh, We talk about how I got kicked out for standing, how we didn't drop out of the AP poll, and the significance of that, and some usual segments. Probs, probs, money moves, picks, moves, mailbag, and much more. And as always, I'm here with Money Moo, UCF's historic 27-game regular season win streak comes to an end after a last-minute trick play downs the Knights by one, 35-34. Everyone just take a deep breath. (sighs) So we'll get into this later, but I didn't realize how the game actually ended until getting on the plane at 6 a.m. on Sunday. Like, I just saw the score, and I didn't really, like, question or anything. I was just like, oh, I saw we lost at the end, um, but I didn't see the actual play. I missed it, and, um, yeah. <laughs> I, well, a lot a lot actually happened from when you, <laughs> from when you got kicked out yeah. uh, for standing, but, which but, was kind of BS, by the way. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, let's, let's just let's dive into the game start to finish. Okay. Uh, starts off down seven nothing. We had a quick three and out right to start off the game. Pitt scores. We get the ball again. Don't do anything. Then Pitt comes out. Fourteen nothing lead. We got the ball. Still can't seem to do anything. Uh, which Squints is going to explain what actually happened later. Go to punt the ball. Blocked touchdown. Moo. I mean, you're sitting there next to me. What's going on? Like, <laughs> well, we were in a section where. All right, so there was those two guys that we met from UCF. I think their names were like Jeff and Justin. Yeah, and I told sure. them to, I told them to listen. So hopefully, hopefully they are. <laughs> uh, but other than that, there was a few other UCF people a couple rows behind us. But we're in pit territory for sure. So everywhere uh, was pit territory. Besides, I mean, we had fans kind of sprinkled in everywhere, but for the most part. It really was mostly pit people. Besides, like our couple designated UCF sections. I mean, we showed up, but. And an away game that far away, it's not going to be mostly UCF people. I kind of thought there would be more in our section just because we were right there, 30-yard line of the UCF sideline. That's just not going to be the case, at, you know, an away game that that's far away from home. But anyway. Yeah, so, I mean, down 21 nothing, I pretty much was, like, doubting everything. 14 nothing though, I had that, like, oh, this is going to be a great comeback. for. Just, it's just like another Memphis game. I man. was just going to say. You know, yep. with our offense, we're not really out of 
any game. As long as there's a decent amount of time left. Right. And even then, we normally, our average scoring drive is like a minute 30 normally. Yeah. Totally fine. But the, so, pro- the problem is, one, though, is when we don't score because of how fast we move and the other team does, it's like you blink, the defense is tired, and we're down three touchdowns. It can get out of hand really quick. Just like when LSU scored three consecutive touchdowns, we were dominating that game, and then next thing you know, it was almost out of hand. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so I was sitting down, just head in my hand, and uh, yeah, I didn't know what to think, man. You know, surprisingly, the pit people around me like weren't really rubbing it in or anything. There, there's that one lady. We Dude, just... you know what's crazy is she actually left the game on that last drive for Pitt. That's like, what she, she didn't gets. even see the. <laughs> she didn't even see the end. That's what she gets for me because she was mean. I'm, I can be you know loud and obnoxious, but I'm I'm cordially fun with everyone. And I was kind of talking crap at the beginning when it was twenty one nothing. I'm like, y'all are dominating us. Like I can't say nothing. And what's a Pitt fan gonna say to that when I'm like, dude? You guys are crushing us. I don't know if it was it was kind of them. It was kind of us. I mean, obviously, Dylan, you know, has the most pressure he's faced all season. A couple of interceptions don't help. It could have been worse, I guess, if you want to say that. But then finally, last drive before halftime, AK punches it in, cuts the lead to 21-10. So at that point, I really started to believe. I actually even said this on Twitter. I took a picture of the field. And I said, look, you know, it's pretty funny. I'm sitting here with Sean, and uh, I'm looking at all these Pitt fans who are pretty confident, and I just know we're going to win this game, and it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. And then when we started scoring in the second half, you know, 31 unanswered, I was like, whoa, not only are we going to win, we're going to cover the spread, baby. Let's go. And the team total over 35 and a half. How much time was left when we got to 31 points? I'm looking here. 133 left in the third quarter. Yeah, plenty of time. We just can't score one more, one more touchdown. Oh, dude, that cost me a grand. Dope. Okay. Well, anyway. anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so 31-21. Uh, what's kind of the next thing? I mean, we didn't do much. Let's go to the, the, the fourth and two. Tell me how that went down. What, what were your thoughts as he decided not to kick the field goal? When they first went for it, I thought it was a good idea, and I'm still sticking to that. I like You know, it. look. You line up our best 11 guys against their best 11 guys to get two yards. Now, the play, the actual play call, not too sure about it. Maybe Hypo had the over 35 and a half like me because we score there. Oh, my God. I'm just I'm reliving this right now. <laughs> so, no, but to but, be honest, though, the fourth down, you 110% go for it. Two yards? We Us versus them. Yards, yeah. You know, we're... A bet we are a better team. I still think we're a better team. If we play this game a hundred times after this, we're gonna win ninety nine of them. Let's say like ninety eight. You know, but uh, no, you definitely hundred percent go for it on that fourth and two. Not the running up the middle. What? Well, no, I. Okay, yeah, don't run it up the middle. But if you're gonna run up the middle, why didn't you put Bentavius in? Did he even play all game? Not that I saw. I definitely saw him dress though. That is a question that we gotta ask Squints, man. Yeah. I have no idea why. Bentavious, I've been calling for his name all year. He's yeah. been a beast, dude. He's but don't our... run. I know McCray is awesome, but he's just a smaller back. When it's fourth and two against a P5 defensive line, yeah, why you don't need, you put the, you the bigger back in? You can maybe push the line forward if you get stopped to get those yards after contact. I agree. but And then obviously, I don't want to talk about it, losing the game on friggin' fourth down on the Philly special, which how many times have we got to see that? before? You know what? Eh. 
I probably I would have fell for it too. I'd be like, oh, what's this guy doing? And the next thing I know, well, I'll take it back to a few plays before that when Pitt had a fourth and five on like the twenty yard line, and we jump off sides. Speaking of which, <laughs> how about the drive before that with the three penalties, the three personal fouls right in a row? You know, I think the whole theme of this is that Pitt came out and gave us our best game, and we came out, we were sloppy, undisciplined, shot ourselves in the foot, and we had so many chances to win this and put this away, and we just couldn't, whether it's the penalties, the fourth down plays, the two passes that were should have been like touchdowns where it was like an inch out of bounds. Yeah, We could easily be sitting here and talking about Dylan Gabriel for Heisman, how he had 350 yards and, and three touchdowns and whatever, the big comeback versus the P5 team. And we could have won this game by 10, 14 points. And I'd also have $2,000 more in my pocket. You know, Pitt gave us their best game and we came out and I would give us like a C. I mean, we looked great at times and we didn't look that good other times. And, you know, an, an away game like that on the road at a conference with that much hype. I mean, they were chaining overrated on our first punt. Yeah. Our first punt yeah. of the game. What does that say about us as a program, though? I think we're I think legit. We are legit. Another thing to solidify of how far we've come is that normally a group of five team that loses to an unranked, you know, P5 or unranked anyone that's in the top 25, one loss and you're usually gone, especially the fourth week of the year. Yeah, forget about you it. You know, so I think that was a huge sign of respect for the program as a whole. You know, and it was only a one-point loss. It's not like we went in there and got trounced, you oh, know? No, trick play, too. Like, I mean, they're, that's desperate. Like, I can smell the desperate all the way from back down in right. Florida. So, like, us, out everything. us so, staying in the top 25, I think it's a huge vote of confidence for the program as a whole. And I agree. And then another thing, too, is, I mean, everyone's been talking about this on Twitter, the T-shirt they put out. They put out a commemorative T-shirt for beating a G5 team. If that doesn't say, like, we made it, I don't know what is. I ordered one. That's awesome. I should order. T- <laughs> That's going to be a collectible one day. I can't wait to wear it. I'm not celebrating the loss. I'm celebrating the fact that we're T-shirt worthy for Pitt. Pitt has, like, 14 NFL players in the Hall of Fame. They're a school of history and everything, and they just made a shirt for us. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, the game didn't turn out the way we wanted. There's a lot of good things to look at. There's a lot of bad things. But I think one of the good things, too, is if we're going to lose a game out of any game on the schedule, this is the game to lose. It really has no effect on anything besides our overall record to get into the NY6 Bowl. So right. this is better than any conference loss, which actually could really, really hurt us. So I mean, to get into the New Year's Six Bowl in the college football playoff rankings, the highest ranked G five group of five conference champion. So, and this loss meant absolutely nothing to our run at the conference championship. Correct. The only thing it did was set us a little bit back in the rankings. Boise's ahead of us now. There's a lot of football left to play, and Boise has tough games. They've got Hawaii. They've got BYU. Uh, their conference schedule is a little bit easier. You look through their schedule, and like every team says state on it. <laughs> yeah, but uh. So I actually have a contrarian view of this. I actually don't think we absolutely need Boise State to lose. Will it help us? Sure. But if you look at the rest of our schedule, we still have Cincinnati. We still have Tulane and possibly, you know, Memphis in the conference championship. If Memphis, you know, wins out to the conference championship, they'll be ranked ranked for sure. 
Boise State is not going to play another ranked team. No. None of those teams on their schedule are ever going to be ranked not even the close. rest of this year. So for us, it's like really nothing changed. Okay, maybe the very, very long shot of us like actually getting into the playoff is pretty much zero now. But yeah. you know, at the beginning yeah. that we didn't even think about that at the beginning of the year. The beginning <laughs> of the year we were thinking, okay, we need to get to a New Year's six. Cotton Bowl. We need to bus. get we need yeah. to win the conference championship. None of that has really changed. Yeah. At least in my in my opinion. You know, we were really helped out was Tulane's epic comeback win versus oh, yeah. Houston. That you, was awesome. Man, the AAC football has been great. Um obviously some other news with Houston we'll talk about later, but Tulane's looking good. It looked like and I <laughs> Say this every week. Looking like Tulane might be our hardest game on the schedule. <laughs> I wouldn't have changed that if it wasn't for the fact that Temple lost to friggin' Buffalo this week because I was saying it might be Temple. So Tulane, new weekly candidate for hardest yeah. game on our schedule, which I swear I don't mean to change every week. It's just kind of how the landscape and the games are, are settling right now. But we'll see. So that could be our second to last game when we play USF at home. And then hopefully conference championship looking like it's going to be Memphis. Yeah, I mean, Houston's won three. Houston's out. Temple just lost, so they're not. SMU, though, still undefeated. Not on our schedule this year. Not on our schedule, but we could be meeting them. I don't know. I would love to play Memphis again. Dude, I don't know. How many times in a row can we beat them? (laughs) I mean, imagine how they feel. Yeah, everyone's going bad. crazy about a one-point loss. Imagine how like you blow two seventeen-point <laughs> leads in the same season. They actually blew two seventeen-point leads in one conference championship game, yeah. not including the regular season game. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so theme of the show is we're fine. We're fine, guys. We really are. I know I I very overreacted, but that's just the passion and and the the fanatic in me. Anything else to talk about? Back to the game. Special teams, maybe? Kind of look good? Obviously, besides the blocked punt. I can't really remember the last time we had a blocked punt other than Michigan 2016 when we were at the game. Yeah, I they remember. Just dominated us. But <laughs> how about, no, actually, how about this? Because this might have been one of those like epic goosebump in-person moments, like a Mike Hughes-ish type changing of the lead, comeback from behind. Talk to me about the Otis punt return. That happened right in front of you, like right to left, right? Or no, it was left to right. It was right to left for me. Like he was running, he caught it where about where I, we were sitting, and then he ran okay. the, the other way. Like, take me through the emotions and stuff in that. Not just the punt return itself, but also taking the lead again, retaking the lead, right. being down twenty-one. Like, how did that feel? Halfway through the run, I had to switch my eyes from like actually watching the players to watching the big screen because you yeah, know too far the, away. The yeah. team on the bench was like in my way, so. <laughs> Right when that happened is when he kind of ducked under the kicker. Oh, the little the punter yeah, or whatever. Nice. And then I just started jumping up and down, like going crazy. I'm like, oh, he's probably going to trip or something. But I just kept saying, let's go, let's go. And then I looked over to the left at Jeff and Justin. We all just like started hugging and jumping at <laughs> each other. And then I like pointed to all the pit people and was like, see, I told you, you see. <laughs> yeah. And they were just like dumbfounded. They yeah. couldn't believe like what was happening. They're dead silent. That it was, was awesome. That sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think I was walking back to the hotel trying to get the game to buffer on my phone at that point. <laughs> Completely missed it. <laughs> I'm like buffer, buffer, buffer. Never again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so don't stand at uh, up north away games. Um, 
apparently that's kind of frowned upon. Obviously, I feel like the third time getting yelled at, I wasn't, I guess, maybe that friendly in response to the usher. But also, he he kept making me... To say the least. He kept making me <laughs> he kept making me go to the aisle, like stepping over everyone to go to the aisle to show him my tickets. I'm like, I've showed you my tickets three times. They did not change since the last time you yelled at me, dude. And yeah, so I don't know. I probably could have been like nicer, but you know, honestly, I'm so glad I didn't see the end of that game. Cause yeah. in person, I don't know. I, I mean, dude, just watching the replay like actually hurt me. Um yeah, I, I I'm just I'm glad. Everything worked out. I had a great time. I had an awesome time. Yeah, Moo. So Moo stumbles like into the Poly D concert or something after the game. Tell us about that. Oh yeah. Well, that was awesome. Uh, your thanks to your boy Mitch uh, yeah. for hooking it up. Shout um, out, Mitch. He had an extra ticket to the DJ Poly D in concert VIP experience. By the way. Uh yeah no I definitely missed that but I mean we got hooked up pretty good. Shout out to the Rivers Casino. Had a personal driver like the whole time to take us everywhere. Yeah, that was epic. They hooked us up at the Hyatt. Like, thank you your guys. Boy, your boy Regis. So I dri- <laughs> driving the Escalade. Yeah. If your name's Regis, we're like Jeeves. You're like born to be a private chauffeur, right? Like your parents didn't give you much hope of like being like a any kind of athlete. Like you're not gonna be an athlete if your name's Regis, but you're gonna be like a valet driver at the Hyatt <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <laughs> now that was super cool. And honestly, between the money I saved from like the free food they gave us in the hotel. And the rides, because the airport was actually really far. It would have been yeah. a $4 Uber. I probably broke even with the money I lost gambling. Seriously. Yeah. Free. So, free. Uh, yeah. Overall, cool experience. Um, Tequila Cowboy was awesome. Shout out to everyone that came to that. The that was pre- our pregame party. Our kick. The one our night. Kick, kick one night and official. Official kickoff party. Kickoff party. Uh, actually, Friday and the, the pregame at McFadden's was awesome. It was like every single UCF fan and pit came to McFadden's, which was yeah. Who the game. who coordinated that? Someone just put it in the thing in like the Facebook group, and it was like pass oh, it on. Because, that was awesome. Because I tell you what, dude, there was what three four hundred people in there. A lot, and no one wants to set up a, an away game tailgate. Like no one has cars, no one has tents. Right. It sucks enough setting up a, a tailgate at home. We just want to drink somewhere. So yeah. that and the bar, I mean, the location was awesome. Ten was minutes from the stadium, two or three blocks. Yeah, overall, very very cool trip. Pittsburgh, really cool city. Uh, it, maps don't do it justice because I, I was looking at a map. I'm like, oh, everything's like next to each other. You don't realize there's like three rivers in this giant hill, and it's kind of complicated to get to the other side. But overall, really cool. I don't know. I guess I'm just like kind of sheltered living in Florida my whole life, even though I've traveled places. But like the hills and stuff are very very cool. Um. You know, playing chicken going up a little one way with like two Uber drivers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was pretty surprised at Pittsburgh. You know, I've been in a ton of cities all over the world, and it's probably not somewhere I'd like go for vacation, but maybe like a quick weekend or yeah, you know, something like that. I was- would never go back unless there was a football game, but I'm glad I went. Um, also excited to go to Cincinnati in two weeks, another place. It's like I'm sure it'll be pretty cool. UCF football. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. We get to travel and go to all these cool places and, and have a great time and. Night Nation really showed out to this game. I know a lot of people said a lot of people didn't travel, but thought we showed out. I mean, it's not that easy to just go to these away games. Like, if you have kids, everything costs, like, quadruple with either getting babysitters for the weekend or bringing them to the game for flights instead of, you know, one or two. So I thought we traveled really well. I mean, I obviously wish there was more people, but I was pleasantly surprised. Like, we didn't have this many people in Michigan three years ago, and we went there. No, definitely not. I saw, like, maybe, like, 100 fans at well, that Well, there was Michigan also, game. like, 110,000 people at the Michigan game. I know, us, but so. still. I don't know. Yeah. How about that plane ride back? 
yeah. assault. Ooh, Can we never do that again? Dude, we saved like $30 taking the 6.30 flight instead of the 1 p.m. <laughs> we got home at like 10 after driving an hour and a half from Fort Lauderdale, and I'm like, is it Monday? Like, what? Like, we still had three hours of football. It was a strange feeling. Uh, yeah, but you you didn't come to the Pauly D concert with us. You went to bed at like 10 o'clock. Well, I mean, I was in bed. I wasn't really sleeping. That, never mind. I stayed out till like 2.30 and then woke up at 3.30. Yeah, but I had to drive back from Fort Lauderdale. I'd rather I'd rather Easy. go to the concert and not drive. Like, All right, I did kind of sleep on the drive back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were in and out, kind of. All right, uh, what else we got? Probs, probs this week. So, again, a lot of things I could talk about. Getting kicked out, losing by one. Um, I'm going to go with something a little different this week. My prob's prob is myself because I, as a fan, got way too confident and cocky after, which in my defense, we dismantled Stanford. But, and I do still think this is the best team ever, but I got way ahead of myself last week talking about the playoffs and all that stuff. And I know this is just a show, I'm not the team. I can look ahead to more than one week, but I think I look too far ahead and I hope that didn't trickle off on anyone else. And I, for one, normally am the person that's like, guys, we need to like chill as a fan base. We're getting way too cocky and ahead of ourselves. I fell into that trap. So I am my own problem and I want to do better uh, going on, you know, from, from this week forward. I still think, you know, like I said, best team ever. I still think we have a great shot at the NY6, but we got to be more humble as a fan base. And um, yeah, so that's, I, I'm my own problem. And I, uh, I think I can do better not getting ahead of myself. We can always talk about like projections and like scenarios and stuff, but maybe don't say I guarantee we're going to make the playoffs or whatever. Might've got a little too ahead of myself. So yeah, uh, that's that. Probs, probs for this week. Very humbling experience right there. Very, very humbling. A couple other things. Big scheduling announcement yesterday from UCF. We announced home and home series with Boise State, first time ever playing them, and also BYU, who we had a home and home with a couple years ago. I guess not the P5 like marquee opponents we hope for, but honestly, the best of the best of the G5, which I'm very happy about. I think it's going to be really fun. Although the UCF Boise State games in what, 21 and 23? We might be like playing for the MY6 Bowl in like week three, honestly. So yeah, hopefully we, uh, I mean, I guess kind of it's like loser leaves town for the for the NY6, but that'll definitely be fun to get a new, you know, I mean, Boise State, everyone compares us to them, so it'll be fun to play them, and I feel like that'll be like a really exciting, highly rated game, and uh, it's just cool to, to get a different kind of opponent into the bounce house. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, and you know, Boise State ha- also has a true freshman quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, that's doing pretty well so far in the season uh so that that will be a pretty good matchup i think uh two years from now two years from now both him and dylan presumably still being the starting quarterbacks is that one at home the first one the first one's at home all right good i like that so hey season my season tickets on the rise yeah let's go (laughs) and then byu is that's byu all right what else (laughs) all right let's move on we'll talk about the new AP ranking, I, for one, as a betting man, would have bet that we fell out of both the polls. And we're actually 22nd in the AP poll, so we're down seven spots, and 23rd in the coaches poll. I'm very surprised. What What did you expect, and what are your thoughts on this? I really expected us to drop out of the rankings 
the funny thing is, is that we're actually still ahead of a two-loss Texas A&M team, which they lost to, what, Auburn and Clemson? Yeah. I so mean, they lost to two top 10 teams, and we're still ranked ahead of them. It's two. I mean, that's two two losses, though, and it's only, that's, yeah. they're, they're a 500 team. I, I don't think they should be ranked, but I get it, though, because normally those teams don't drop that far. Right. Usually you would have some like two loss P5 team ahead of us still. Still plenty of football left to play, but I I agree with you. So anyway, others receiving votes this week, SMU with their big upset win over number 25 TCU is... uh, They popped up high on the rankings, right? Yeah, they're ranked 28th if you're on the other receiving votes. Memphis is also receiving votes ranked 30th. Pittsburgh had six votes, so you never know. I mean, if if Pittsburgh keeps winning... They win out. They could be in the top twenty-five, and you know we have. If that's our only loss against a top twenty-five team by one point, is this the quality loss we've know, finally been waiting for? Whoop de doo, right? Dude, we haven't had a quality loss. Usually, we're just undefeated, right? Somehow, so, this could be better. Tulane, who we play later in this year, also received one vote, but they're still on the radar. That and if they so- keep winning, that means they're going to keep going up. So wait, is, aren't isn't Tulane four zero? Yeah, no, they lost to Auburn. But that was it. Oh, uh, week one, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, just looking at it, like we've said earlier, like we could potentially have like three top twenty-five teams on our. Well, no, two. Well, Pittsburgh could be ranked. Oh, yeah, Memphis Pitt. could be ranked, and Tulane could be ranked. And well, I, I was gonna say Pitt, Tulane, and then SMU slash Memphis, whoever we right. play in the conference right. okay, championship. Yeah. What, so that could be three. What week do they play each other? Because as dumb as this sounds. We need them to play as late in the season as possible mm. so their ranks are as high as possible because once one of them loses, they will fall out of the top 25. They have not earned the three years of not losing in the regular season credibility that we have. SMU and Memphis play at Memphis on November 2nd. Okay, that's, that's still like, what's five? Pretty late s- in the season. I think it's like week nine or five or six weeks from now. They're what? They're 27 or 28 or 29 in the rankings. If they both win out till then, that'll be a top 20 matchup, and the winner could get boosted up. Hopefully, they keep winning. Tulane keeps winning. We oh, no, wait. A- Memphis plays Tulane two weeks earlier. They play SMU on November 2nd. Okay, so ideally, SMU and Memphis and Tulane all keep winning all their games. Memphis is ranked. Tulane beats them. Then two weeks later... I guess there's no. <laughs> I don't One know. of them will be good we at need, some point. We when need we play every. Them. We need Tulane, SMU, and t- Tulane, SMU, and Memphis to just keep winning, and hopefully want to like sneak in the rankings, and then Pitt maybe sneaks in the rankings, and that'll help make us look better. And then also a Boise State loss. So for those of you keeping track at home, SMU, Memphis, Tulane to win all the rest of their games, and we need Boise State to lose. We win all our games. By going 1-0 every week, because I'm not getting ahead of myself at all. And we have a chance at the Cotton Bowl. Which, preseason, that was our goal all along. Like I said last week, actually, I didn't really want to go to the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl again. Which are the playoff games. So, it's actually a win-win if you think about it. Dallas, really cool city. Chance for us to all check out another bowl game. Dallas, actually, also not nearly as far as the Fiesta Bowl. And hopefully we get another, you know, really fun opponent. And, uh you know, kind of make up for what happened last year. You know, hopefully this is a yearly thing because, I mean, if you're like any one of the other, 
what is it, like 40, 30, 40, 32 or something? G5 teams, maybe something like that. The NY6 Bowl is like your Super Bowl, like our first Fiesta Bowl was. Now it's like our yearly thing, and we actually have a chance to do it. So, yeah, very exciting. So that's what we need to happen. What other news do we have around college football? Oh, yeah, this is like the biggest joke of the week here. The Florida Gators have announced a home-and-home series with the Utah Utes. What? The Utah Utes. The biggest excuse of why UF Athletic Director Scott Strickland would not schedule a a home-and-home with us is because he said our stadium was too small, right? Yeah, that's what he said. He said we couldn't give one off away tickets and a bunch of other excuses. So wait, he thinks they'll have more people travel to Utah than to UCF? Right. Remember, they also previously scheduled a home-and-home with big old bad Colorado. State. Colorado State, even worse. Uh, yeah, this oh, is and a Colorado, joke. too. Yeah, no, they're a joke, man. Get so how, how many seats does Utah Stadium hold? Uh, 45,017, it says. 45,017. And how many seats does Spectrum Stadium, a.k.a. the Bounce House, hold? 44,206 for a difference of 811. <laughs> oh, man, you beat me. 811 more seats, and that's the threshold for you scheduling a home-and-home to make all of your Gainesville Gator fans travel all the way the hell to wherever Utah. Utah? Half of the Gator fans don't even know where Utah is, probably. That is the biggest joke of an excuse, and Scott Strickland, you're officially a clown. Yeah, he's a wuss. You know what it comes down to? It has nothing to do with seating, scheduling, camping world. They don't want that smoke, and this proves it right here. They don't undeniable. want it. They it's undeniable. It. So if you have any of them Walmart Gator fans at your work. Or real Gator fans, because those do exist. Or anyone that's trying to tell you that we tried to dodge UF. No. Hit them with the facts. No. Yep, I agree. Ooh, yeah. Uh, got me a little fired up there. Uh, all right, let's get to our guests. We have Anthony Squints, Lenahan, analytics expert pro football focus analyst. He's going to come on. We're going to talk about what the heck happened versus Pittsburgh. Uh, obviously some you know great plays, like we said before, a couple inches away from winning that game by a few touchdowns and you know covering the point total and everything. But also there were some, I mean, there was a lot of drives that just didn't end up to anything. We saw Dylan running for his life a lot. So he's going to come on and, and really break that down from a, a perspective that's not just a fan, an analytics guy. And uh, to see, you know, what went wrong and what we can improve on and what, you know, some good takeaways are. Uh, Yeah, let's talk to Squints. Go. All right, we're here with Anthony Squints Lenahan, our analytics expert. Thanks so much for joining the show. How you doing, dude? Doing good. Kind of weird to uh, be doing this after a loss because I don't think we've done that before. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely definitely interesting, but that's good though. That's why we wanted to have you on because we have a lot of questions. Um, I'm sure everyone else does too. They'll just start it off. What happened? What what went wrong in that game? We didn't look the same on offense. Yeah, what what were your initial observations? I guess the beginning of the first quarter was really ugly. It kind of looked a lot like the FAU game almost, where just not a lot was happening that was good. Uh, just kind of look at like. 
the first 15 plays I pretty much talk about are like scripted plays. So like what a coach goes in, like these are the first 15 plays before like game flow kind of takes over and right. score. So those 15 plays were really ugly. If you like been watching the previous games, like UCF's been really efficient throwing the deep ball out. It's like what Gabriel's best at. They threw eight passes here. They threw three of those behind the line of scrimmage. Only one was a deep ball. And they didn't use play action on any of the first three. So basically, kind of started off the game doing nothing. What they're not good at doing, pretty much. Okay. And even at the Stanford game, it kind of started off the same way like a, a short run and then a, a try to throw like a swing pass screen to a running back like five yards behind the line of scrimmage. I feel like we run the ball way too much on first down. Yeah, I, I figured you would get into that a little bit later. Um, All right. So yeah, we started off really slow, but I mean, for the most part, even throughout the game, it just seemed like Dylan just didn't have the same time to throw like he did versus Stanford. And, and I think we talked about this the last time is how much time he had before getting his throws off. And that, that just wasn't there. Um, what, whose fault is that? I guess. I guess it's a combination of both of the blocking. There definitely were like a lot more pressures due to poor offensive line play there's a lot more pressures like the Stanford like if you look at the release times everything's pretty much because Dylan wanted to throw the ball then not like because he was gonna get hit or something like that not due to pressure but a lot of his times this week compared to the other games is at least double they actually dropped back 51 times in this game which is a ton I mean I don't hate it because um no throwing the ball is plus EV yeah yeah but there's 14 pressures I had on those 51 dropbacks, which is a ton. Yeah, 30% almost. I mean, the crazy thing is, Gabriel doesn't even need that long to throw downfield. He had one pass that Harris was 10 yards downfield, and I believe he called it 37 yards downfield, which so basically... Rainbows. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much covered 27 yards while the ball was in the air which is just insane and the ball the ball is right on the money so i mean that and i think it's a little bit of a combination of that and just the offensive scheme and pitt's game planning narduzzi is a great defensive coach they held penn state to 17 last week all their games have been low scoring so i think it's a little bit of all-around stuff how do you feel about that fourth and two call what's what's your opinion on that you know fourth and two we're up three at the time we could have kicked the field goal to go up six. I was kind of critical of this at first, but then I kind of went back and I'm like, I like, you know, that almost puts the game away and puts the team total over. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> what are your thoughts on the decision to go for it? And then second part of the question, what are your thoughts on the play call? Yeah, I think everybody saw your tweets uh, right at, right when you, you kind of found out the result about yeah. your initial reaction. So, but uh, you got to go for that a hundred times out of a hundred. Okay, it's, thank you, it's, thank you. It's not a, it's not a question. A lot of coaches will probably tell you that you kicked the field goal there, but you go for that a hundred times out of a hundred, just you. based off what gives you the best chance to win, which is what you're trying to do. Because you score that touchdown, the game's two scores. It, it's over almost. We've been stopping them the whole entire second half. So yes, okay, cool. so, so that's the same exact when they kicked the field goal at the end of the game to go up six. It's the same exact thing. They should have went for that. Even on what was just, it was just like numbers wise. Seven, I think it was. I think it was fourth and seven. It was but fourth and seven. But I'm with you the, too, dude. I think we should have went um, for that too. Then they don't have a chance to win. The the no Philly pit special, no bullcrap. Yeah, pit special. Yeah, way, way <laughs> so, different. 
Yeah, on that, uh, on the Dylan Gabriel pass to Gabe Davis for 13 yards on third and 20 there, uh, Pitt had a 6.6% chance to win about that. Um, Don't tell me this. Their win percentage went up, I think, 5% after their first play, which was a nine-yard run or something on their next possession. It actually happened last night, too. McVeigh was in fourth and one. He could have kicked the field goal to go up seven or could have went for it and scored a touchdown and go up two possessions and the game's over. Right. Not last night, Sunday night. Right. But, um, but even if you make, I mean, here's the thing. Even if you get the first down and don't score, you're still going to run off another two minutes of the clock or burn all their timeouts. Yeah, and they were on the 11. So yeah, same I, same thing. So in the red zone. So if you got the if you got a first down there, you're basically scoring a touchdown. Right. Or at least going forward to get you have another four downs to get four yards. Exactly. Worst case scenario. Exactly. But Anthony, and if you if, if you get a bunch of negative penalties, you kick the field goal. Then if you're in like fourth and twenty, where course. it's like what? But just pure win probabilities. It's you go for it every time. Uh, even if you don't get it, they still have to go eighty nine yards. Exactly. Instead it, of the seventy that they had to go. Right. Sorry to cut that you actually, off. <laughs> but Anthony, no, the biggest question that I have is I'm totally with you, and I said earlier that I am 100% with you that you go for that every single time. But as far as the play call, even though I don't agree with the play call of running it up the middle, why on God's earth was Bentavious Thompson not in the game and getting that ball if that was the play call that we were going to go with? Or the rest of the game, just in general, what are your thoughts on him not playing that much? Uh, It's so tough because all their running backs are so good. AK this year is, I think I saw a tweet from uh, College Football Data. They tweeted, they have a bunch of analytical metrics and stuff. Predicted points added. I think he's like sixth in the country out of running backs. Dude, he's having an un- underrated, really good year. He's putting his shoulder down and going through people. Yeah. And it's, it's fun to watch. And if you follow me, you know I really like Otis, so. Yeah. But, I mean, McCray's then, also good. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's I, 2020. He could have easily just you know, shifted over and got the first down. But, you know, Hypo's so creative. And you tweeted something about that crazy play where we had, you know, Davis lined up at the left tackle and there's all this confusing stuff. I mean, run the play that we ran for the two-point conversion against LSU. Yeah, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get two yards. That's all you're trying to do. Use your best And then you have so much much more space to use. Exactly. They had seven in the box. And a base defense, I mean. And it looked like we looked to the sideline for some kind of audible, and then we still ran it up the middle. I had a split zone, which is basically like the five linemen block one way, and then the tight end blocks to the opposite across the formation. Just trying to open up a hole? Just right up the middle, yeah. Seven in I the don't... box, run it up the middle. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, you got to get two yards. If it works, everybody's like, oh, that's fine. But Great play call, yeah. I mean, it could have been a but, touchdown. How many times do we run it up the middle and it goes to a touchdown? So. Just just based off of like how success, how poorly most of the run attempts were going uh, last week, it's kind of easier to say that. That's what I'm saying, yeah. But Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about Dylan Gabriel. You put out a big tweet thread yesterday um, about how good he is with his downfield passing. Tell us a little bit more about exactly how good he is, I guess. It's crazy. I feel like it's like everything that people thought they were getting with Wimbush without actually watching how Wimbush played like mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. They're getting with Gabriel. Like 
It feels like every talk- time he throws the ball deep, like you just you, know you it's going to be completed. You expect it to be like right on the money. Which yeah, is- and it is almost all the time, it seems like. Yeah, I have 14 for 29 completion percentage, which is really good. Just, and just accuracy-wise, accuracy I have an 18 for 29. Uh, I think he threw a couple deep balls that were three that were called out of bounds last week that I don't think were on him. Just the receiver. Due to Harris and then one to Gabe Davis. I feel like I think it's happened like twice now to Davis, who's like just kind of lost sideline awareness where right. he should have had catches, but – yeah, his – so the big thing that I was looking at in that tweet was air yards, like kind of like like Tua against Duke this year had like an absurd amount of yards, like 400. But his average air yards per completion was like 2.6 mm-hmm. just because he has Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs who catch a three-yard pass and run for 80 yards. Like right. that's – it's like not exactly showing – quarterback performance it doesn't show like the most, whole picture yeah most quarterbacks can complete that three yard pass but so gabriel has he has 62 completions and 683 of his 1080 yards have come via air yards which is 63.24 percent of his yards which is absurd right to put it in perspective last year Tua had a 45.5 percent clip haskins was at 47.6 percent and kyler was at 51.6 percent I don't think those were the highest in the country, but those were arguably the three best quarterbacks in the country. Exactly. And you could throw in Trevor Lawrence, but he didn't play all year, so it's a little bit harder. So he's significantly better throwing the ball down the field, is what you're saying. Yeah. It's and then just if you, all bombs. <laughs> all bombs. I took out his screen passes and balls thrown behind the line of scrimmage because those obviously kill your like air yards. Right. And they're just design plays. Like it's not like he has the option to throw deep. Exactly. So he has 962 yards total from there, and then 41 completions. And 75.47 percent of his yards have come via just just the air, air yards. Wow. Which is 17.71 yards per completion. And my numbers don't line up to uh, like if you look on ESPN or whatever. He has 10,000, 1,057 yards. I count end zone yards. Right. Because all yards matter. It's the same, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're throwing a ball six yards deep in the end zone, it's just as difficult as throwing the same distance pass. Actually, more difficult because yeah, there's less room. Yeah. So interesting. So I guess to summarize, what are your overall thoughts on on Dylan moving forward? Should we maybe redshirt him? No, I'm kidding. No. (laughs) But overall, I think you're saying he's freaking great already, right? Yeah, I I mean, he's only going to get better, obviously, but I think he has, like, just the arm talent that, like, he's going to be good. Like, accuracy you just can't teach. And we've I think we saw that with – there's just a million examples. I won't go into it because everybody thinks that you can. Like, every new coach is a quarterback guru and is going to change a different quarterback. But But that's, like, the stuff you can't teach, and he has that talent. I think, like, just getting more acclimated to, like, reading defenses and, like, his second pick against Pitt, he just got fooled by the coverage. I think that stuff's going to come, and he's just going to keep getting better and better. And I think I think eventually he'll start to use his feet a little bit more. A lot of people are going crazy about that. Who uh, cares? <laughs> Grambling-wise, like, you saw it last year with Milton. Like, Hypel, like, emphasized that, like, he wanted him to stay in the pocket, and Milton was in the pocket a ton more than he was with Frost. And unless he had to 
make crazy plays outside of it, he would. But Gabriel didn't really have those opportunities against pressure because he just, like, there just was no chance. Right. It was just too quick. I get that. So let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk about the rest of the conference. Tulane, 4-0. Memphis, 4-0. What do you think our hardest game's going to be for the rest of the year? Uh, I will say Tulane just because I've watched all their games. <laughs> yeah, that and I, I, crazy. I, I love their offense coordinator, Will Hall. He's a young guy. If Hypo leaves or something, he's going to be my number one uh, advocate to who I want to be the coach. His play designs, his creativity, and everything he does on offense is just unbelievable. I mean, it's a combination of him and Willie Fritz. Obviously, that comes with it, but just he does some unbelievable stuff. Uh, so their offense creativity, I think, can cause a lot of problems for UCF's defense. I felt like I didn't chart the defense, so I don't exactly know this for sure, but I felt like a lot of Pitt's success on offense came off of what UCF's defense struggled at last year, which was kind of like crossing routes and trying to pass guys off in like a matchup man kind of thing. Right. Like Pitt had a Pitt had a ton of underneath guys wide open and they dropped a ton and missed a ton of easy passes, which the game probably should have been a little bit more out of hand. Not more out of hand, but like they Pitt should have had more. Yeah. a lot more success on offense. Interesting. And I think PFF tweeted out today that Kenny Pickett's average depth of target was seven yards for that game, which is extremely low. He was just living off the underneath passes, and it's worked against yeah. UCF. It worked a lot with Burrow and the Fiesta Bowls. So yeah, that I think sounds, that could cause big problems. I was just going to say that. That sounds exactly what happened against LSU. Like These random guys running crossing routes underneath, not getting pressure on the quarterback, and then these guys just running around wide open. Leaving uh, big holes for quarterbacks to run, scramble, just like comes with not getting pressure and if you're in man and you turn your turn your back like Pickett had a couple big runs there I mean at the end the third down right before they scored he he ran I think he had like a six or seven yard run that just shouldn't have happened so Anthony just switching gears back to the offense because I know that's mostly what you chart one thing that I think is like the million dollar question of everyone saying you know what happened is that what would you do to fix you know, whatever happened with the offensive line? Is it a different blocking scheme? Is it Gabriel, you know, getting rid of the ball quicker? I mean, I don't exactly know, like, blocking schemes, so I can't really talk on that. But one thing that they do a ton of and did a ton versus Pitt is use seven-man protection, which it sounds like, oh, like, that's great, like, keeping Hescock in and the running back into block. But basically what Pitt did is they ran base personnel on defense basically the whole game, except in obvious passing downs, they went nickel. They kept three linebackers in, and they, they would keep one linebacker shaded. He was either like just in the box or just outside the box, and would shade him to the two wide receiver side because they would run a two-by-one with the wide receivers. And they would keep the other two linebackers inside the tackles, and pretty much once they saw that Hescock and whoever the running back was wasn't going out for a pass, they just pretty much blitz like it's not a blitz because they're not going they're not going at the snap go, going on the snap they're just going, going because they have no one to cover they might yeah. as well just go and I, I get that by bringing in Hescock to to just block like you go from 11 personnel formation wise that's just adding another guy to the box yeah it's not really doing anything you're just creating another guy that you have to block it's like it's do you want to block 
four guys with five guys or do you want to block six guys with seven guys exactly it, cre- it just creates more opportunity for someone to miss one guy to, one guy to mess up and then you're getting linebackers coming in at two or three yards with a running start and you got tight end or tight end or running black sometimes they'll run a little up. twist yeah. or a stunt and create question marks and it just creates so much more so you think we should have probably spread the field more instead yeah, of the seven man production they ran a ton of plays out of 11 personnel, formation-wise. Which I know you don't like. <laughs> no, I, I'm just 21, going 21, from... let's go. <laughs> yeah, they, they've only run 10, 11, 12, and empty this year, and 12 is two plays, and empty is four. Yeah, oh, that's and, uh, not encouraging. So, yeah. <laughs> so, out of 11, it just it killed them. That's my biggest thing, is like people live by the seven man protection should work. Like you see a lot of that, but it's really just making it harder. And then you only have three guys running routes and you have five guys to cover them. So Pitt was basically keeping that one linebacker that wasn't in the box and we'll let him run like an underneath zone, which is the guy who picked off Gabriel's first interception. And then you have two guys covering those two receivers, pretty much either running a little zone. And then on the other side, on the backside, you have just one-on-one with the safety over the top. So it's basically double coverage. So it's Not it's just extremely us. hard. Yeah. yeah. One last thing on, I guess, you know, play calling and stuff like that. I feel like we're running the ball too much on first down. Can you tell us your thoughts or what you've seen a little bit on that? Yeah. So this is something that I've kind of talked about a lot since almost last year. I mean, last year it wasn't to the degree, but it was kind of there. But this year I kind of, I looked into it because the first two games I kind of noticed it and like, you kind of see stuff live and I, I watch games a little bit differently than probably a lot of other people because my mind is just messed up now in terms, in terms <laughs> watch of watching like 4D or something in terms of watching football, like my <laughs> friends hate watching football with me. So I feel like that'd be fun. I don't know. But anyway, what, what did you see? So on first downs this year, before this game, UCF has 51 first and tens, 35 of those were runs, which I don't know that percentage. But 70%. It's like, it's, it's it's like, like 66. How many successful so, out of that? So on those 35 rushing attempts, UCF had a 45.7 success rate. That's Which is decent, not, it's right? not terrible, yeah. but EPA says that four yards and under is a negative play for the offense and a win for the defense. Gotcha. So that's, that's really what it, the line should be at. But so, I still think, I still think four yards on first down is, respectable and could be deemed a successful play so 24 of those 35 have gone for four yards or less so that's 68 percent, which is a ton it seems like that, a waste that, that can kill your whole drive right there if you don't so get that, enough yards on first down that, that second long third long that would be at a five yard success rate they would be at like a 31 success rate which is horrible i mean if you saw last year their offense last year in terms of success rate has just blown this year's away uh, six of those 35 rushing attempts have either failed to gain a yard or lost yards, which is basically an incomplete pass at worst or even a sack. But then on the 16 pass attempts, they had 10 successful, which is a 62.5% clip. On those pass attempts, Gabriel's averaging 18.5 yards per attempt, which is... That's unreal. That's unheard of i mean obviously regression you saw it a little last week regression is obvious yeah but but still but yeah so passing should be done on first and 10 a lot more the crazy thing is like second third and fourth down on rushing attempts ucf ran the ball 62 times at a 56.45 success rate 
and 8.92 yards per carry, which is just an astronomical difference. Yeah, so maybe pass and then run. I mean, and then if you go, <laughs> seems pretty simple to me. That he... <laughs> if you go to uh, the pick game, they ran the ball twelve times on first and ten. They had a sixteen percent success rate on those runs. Don't. One of the runs was an AK thirty-six yard run right before the Gabriel pick. They snapped the ball like thirty seconds into the play clock. AK was probably still gassed, and they then he had to pick up like a six-man pressure and just get, whiffed uh, on it. Yeah, yeah. So. If you take out that 36-yard run, on the other 11 rush attempts, they had 1.8 yards per carry, which, I mean, you're basically playing without first down, which... That's not that's not a recipe for success. That's yeah. a recipe to be down 21 nothing after you blinked, like, twice on the road. Yeah, it goes back to the first 15 plays. I mean, even when they threw the ball, their screens that they're throwing are just not really very effective. They um, haven't been effective all year, really, have they? No, it, it just they average... I, I was curious, so I looked it up on my flight. They averaged 3.31 yards per attempt. On, they've run 13 of them. 3.31 yards per attempt, the 38% success rate, and they've run eight of them on first down for three yards. I mean, it's essentially just another run play. Yeah, so you it's could another just failed throw run that, play. You could just throw that in the run category. So it's I, actually like we're running more because those plays are pretty much worthless. I agree. So going forward, I don't know. I It's hard. UCF, their their team is so much more talented than everybody. Like, they're more talented than Pitt. They might not have been on the line of scrimmage, but they were still a better team, in my opinion, at least. Like, we they should have. A million opportunities to run away with that game, even with being down 21. And I mean, losing the turnover battle. And, and that, which, you, as you know, I mean, the, losing the turnover battle, I think it gives you like a 20% chance of winning just in general. So. Yeah, it goes up like and a block pump for a touchdown. That I mean, too. I guess it counteracts with I guess the Otis return for a touchdown, but still, still one one's like more of a miscue and one's more of somebody making a play. I agree. I agree. Um, Yikes. Just one one last thing on the offense that I'll throw in is this goes back to uh, Moo's question about like the blocking and the scheme and how to like kind of help that out is just use motion like. Motion benefits an offense so much. Like if you watch McVay coach, if you watch the Rams offense, just look how much they use motion. It helps the quarterback make read the read. defense. Yeah, you well, can tell Goff exactly does, what they're Goff, doing. Goff doesn't read the defense. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Him. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it helps can, out so much. You just can tell. Everything. You can tell a lot, even just for me, the untrained eye. I mean, you watch. You're like, oh, they're in man, or or they're in this because mm-hmm. they just shift over a little bit, so you know it's zone. I, I agree. So they've used. Motion 13 times without, this is on 198 plays, without Hescock being the motion guy. Well, that doesn't they, count. You, he just goes from like the left side to the right side. They, they use him like twice, actually like in good motion against Pitt. But so on those 13 plays, 10 of them were successful plays. And then I include like defensive PIs and defensive holdings and success, success, yeah. successful plays because they really are. Yeah. One of the non-successful plays was a Gabe Davis the Gabe Davis pass that he caught out of bounds that got reviewed, which should have been a touchdown. And then one of the unsuccessful plays was also the Wimbush counter that they tried to run in the beginning of the game, which just shouldn't be doing. Yeah. So, so their success rate with motion is crazy. Uh, I know you'd mentioned the play with the unbalanced line and Gabe Davis lined up at left tackle, but they ran Marlin in motion. He was wide open. Jet sweep. He yeah. was wide open. I mean, he, I don't get, he was probably like the fourth option on the play. Looks like he it. Was, he was more of like the motion guy to kind of 
distract. Be the he was, motion guy. He was yeah, a yeah, distraction, yeah. but no one covered him. It was like the opposite of what the play was supposed yeah. to do. They were in zone, and yeah, that corner just... didn't realize that he was coming out, and he would just follow Trey on the drag. Yeah, so I think using motion is just it's just such ben- so beneficial for an offense. Like they have to include it more, and when you're running guys like Marlin and Otis in motion out of the slot, like those guys could get handoffs a million times. Like they're serious threats to run the ball there. Yeah, or like a pop pass. I think the offense can be so much more creative, but. Yeah, so I think we'll, see. we'll wrap this up. So in general, the big takeaways from this, we need to throw more on first down. We need to motion more. What was the third one? Play action. Play action. And bomb. Play action is bigger bombs. than anything. And just, yeah, motion, totally play action, bomb on first down. <laughs> and for, for people that think that you have to run the ball before you can run play action, you don't. <laughs> no, I agree. Anything you got on the UConn game? Spreads forty three and a half. Uh, I know we're, we're, we should win this game easily. Obviously, uh, I think we said yeah, that in the I, last couple of games. But uh, any, I haven't any watched them at all. I haven't watched them at all. Uh, it should be. I don't think DG's regression on the uh, air yards <laughs> is going to come this game. But it should. I mean, from players' comments, it seems like they're a little bit more. Mo- not that they weren't motivated, but they're. No, I get it. They're going to respond well to the loss. It's, it seems that way. So. The talent mismatch is absurd. Um, but they do have, Moo talked about this earlier, they have 10 returning starters on defense, which was the worst in college football history last year. So, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? No, that's that's a bad thing. I actually, I actually saw something about that, not about UConn in particular, but about like returners. I think in the secondary you want returners because secondary experience is like extremely valuable in terms of coverages and stuff like that and calls but like up front if your D linemen and linebackers are not good at like getting pressure and making tackles for loss and being disruptive in the run game like experiences that's not help a, that's yeah. that's not going to change gotcha you want you want to add more talent so it's a good thing and a bad thing it depends on where you're looking at it like UCF secondary with the talent obviously losing bam sucks but their secondary had a ton of experience. So that was a big thing about why I wasn't worried about the young people on the D line. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, dude, thanks so much for hopping on the show. As always, great to get your perspective on everything. And uh, we uh, really appreciate it, dude. So thanks a lot. Go Knights. Appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks again, Squints, joining the show. Obviously, good to get someone smarter than ours' perspective on everything that. Went down. All right, it's time for a favorite segment Money Moves Picks of the Week. All right, guys, Money Moves Picks of the Week. Last week, two and one, pretty good. I mean, I'll take two and one all day. That brings us to seven and five overall for the season. Not bad, still a 59%. Yeah. Winners last week were Wisconsin, big time, and uh, Florida State. So last week I gave out the incorrect line for Florida State. I said it was Pickham, but it was actually minus seven. You know, I do make mistakes. Sorry. That guy on Twitter that called me out on it. So I manned up, and we'll use the minus seven in the official records. How much did they win by, though? They won by eight, I think. Oh, so it didn't matter. So free. Thank you again to War on I four banter. Yes, your uh, and way to own Twitter up to name. your mistakes too. Like, you know what happens, man. Yeah, it happens. 
But uh, that means it was a great pick, though. It was an awesome pick, and uh, that actually means people do listen to this show. Yeah. So sorry for that mistake, but it turns out didn't even matter because they covered the minus seven anyways. So the one loss was South Carolina. Had them at plus nine and a half, and I think they lost by like twenty something. Anyway, it happens. <laughs> Two and one. Don't. Here's another thing: is like sometimes like bad teams that even though they seem like they're they should win or cover, it's like sometimes having one team that's like less bad than another, they could just stink more. I think that's kind of what happened. I mean, South Carolina's they're calling for their head coach to be fired, must champ. Right. So it's a it's a dumpster fire over there. Uh, I think we avoid them for the rest of the year. But what do we got this week? Yeah. Oh, Florida State, by the way, uh, they won by 11. Free, so there you go. Free. Just like UCF point total. Oh, dang. Bah. Oh, they were up 21 zip too. Yeah, they like, gave it all back. They almost squandered that <laughs> again. Maybe FSU like first half is the way to go. Uh, maybe. I mean, think about this. I think they've had the lead in the first half in every single game they've played. I think like double digits. And they're too. two and two. <laughs> Hmm. Just imagine if they had a decent head coach. Something to think about. Okay. So, anyway. Money Moves Picks of the Week. First pick of the week. We're going to take Notre Dame at home, minus 11 against Virginia. This line, according to the power rank, should be closer to like 21. And Notre Dame just gave Georgia one hell of a game. And they showed that maybe this year they actually belong. Now they get to come home and face a Virginia team who is 4-0. They beat Pittsburgh first week. Quality win. William and Mary, Old Dominion, and Florida State, even though they should have lost because Florida State has such a bad head coach that they squandered the end of the game and, you know, they had that, like, fourth down with no time left and didn't have time to run a play. Anyway. So Virginia might be a little overrated. A little overrated. You know, they're ranked 18. You know, I'm not going to lie. Virginia is a pretty good team. They have a good dual-threat quarterback, Bryce Perkins, but... This is Virginia football. Come on. This is a basketball school. Bryce Perkins is the entire team. He's the leading passer and leading rusher. A one-man show. You stop him. You stop the team. It's kind of like Perkins. It's like a one, like, oh, you can, you got your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. The one restaurant show. The to-go pie. The to-go pie. <laughs> All that. So Virginia's coming off a three-game homestand, and they haven't left the state of Virginia in almost a month. This is big time for Notre Dame. Home games, they always get up. Home field advantage, actually give them an extra point. So I got them at four and a half. I say Notre Dame rolls easy, 38-21. So that's an easy cover you're saying. I don't know. Notre Dame, I just feel like it's perennially overrated. But I think Virginia's overrated too. I, I think I'm going to stay away from this game, man. I, I don't dude, like Notre Dame. Who thought that Notre Dame was going to go toe-to-toe with Georgia? That's true. That's the thing. Like, normally every year, just like we saw last year when they finally got in the playoff. They got whooped. And they got whooped by Clemson, right? That's kind of what I thought was going to happen to Georgia, and everybody thought that. And then they actually held their own. Georgia overrated? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is why college football is so why you play the game. Yes, it is. So anyway, Notre Dame, minus 11, at home, book it. All right, let's go. What do you got next? Ian, book it. Oh, trademarked. Well done. <laughs> Wait, so don't wimbush it. Right, don't wimbush it. Ian book it. Quarterback in Notre Dame. All right, Penn State is my next pick. Minus seven at Maryland. Now, I know what you're saying. I hyped up Maryland a few weeks ago after they beat Syracuse, but then they lost to Temple, and Temple just lost to Buffalo. 
the same Buffalo team that lost to Penn State by 32. Wait, so, what? <laughs> just so, rewind it 30 seconds. Yeah, all right. I'm going to have to listen to that like three more <laughs> so times. So all that translates to Maryland is a fraud, basically. Yeah. I thought they were good. They're actually not. So they're not who you thought they they're were. They're not who I thought they were. <laughs> but this is So this is Penn State's first road game, which has me a little worried. But they have Purdue next week, so they're definitely not looking ahead. Correct. We really don't know what we're getting in Maryland. You know, they impressed with the offensive performance in the first two games, but then they only scored 17 against Temple. You know, that, like, vaunted, like, Temple, Temple defense. defense. Who lost to Buffalo. Right. I, all right, but, now I see what you're going with You know, go- we scored 50-something on them last week. Too many question marks still for Maryland. Penn State is who they are. I think they take the game 34-17. Okay, I'll take that pick, definitely. And also, the better Penn State does... The less bad Pitt's loss looks, so the less bad our loss looks. Right. I mean... There's so many levels. All right. right. So my third and final pick, we're taking Wisconsin. Big Whiskey, I like to call them. Minus 24 against Northwestern. Now, you won a bunch of money if you took Wisconsin last week with the minus three and a half. That was probably the easiest winner besides the FAU game for UCF that yeah. I picked this year. Yep. I mean, the game was absolutely never in doubt, and Michigan is the biggest fraud yeah, I, uh, that they really in college are. football this year. I don't know what's going on with But them. Wisconsin is the real deal, I'm telling you. Starting the year off with 10 straight quarters of shutout ball on defense. Yeah, they're legit. Jonathan Taylor is a stud. He's going to be, you know... First or second day running back in the draft. They got the big boys on the offensive line. I like Wisconsin, too. Uh, Northwestern, start off the year ranked, maybe overrated. 24 points is a lot, though, for a conference game. Wisconsin's at home, though, right? Wisconsin is at home, but you match that amazing Wisconsin defense, 10 straight quarters of shutout ball against the Northwestern offense. The they, second worst in the nation. They can't score. They can't yeah. score. They scored seven points against Stanford for the entire game. Oh, wow. That's bad. Consi- Ten I mean- against Michigan State. And Northwestern quarterback Hunter Johnson is completing less than 49% of his passes. That's Their rushing good. attack is only averaging four yards a carry. This sounds like the makings of a blowout. Wisconsin firing all cylinders. Super hyped up now after beating Michigan. This is their year to make their playoff push, and they're tired of just being in the top 25. I feel like every single year, you're like, oh, there's Wisconsin, they're at 13 again, and you know they might be like 8-1, and one, and they kind of want to get up there. And, and I feel then, like every year, like Wisconsin's in like the Capital One Bowl or uh, yeah, they're the actually, Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl They're back-to-back Capital One Bowl champions. Yeah, see? Actually, so like, yeah. they're right on the edge of being great, but yeah. they're always just good. They're tired of being just good. They're ready to make a playoff push. I say go Big Whiskey, 49-6 Wisconsin all over Northwestern. I'm actually, I'm, I like this pick a lot. The first two, very skeptical. This one. You see? Yeah. I'm pretty good at sales, man. I, I always, you're so skeptical of my picks at first. Yeah. And I, I give you the analysis and <laughs> there it is, you know, you're sold. Yeah. All right. So let's recap those real quick. To recap the picks, we got Notre Dame minus 11 against Virginia, Penn State minus 7 against Maryland, and Big Whiskey, Wisconsin, minus 24 against Northwestern. 
Let's get that money. All right. Let's wrap this up here. We've got Moose Mailbag. Remember, we put out the tweet usually a day or two before we record. And we try and answer. Actually, we do answer pretty much every legitimate question. So if you want to be on the show, reply to the tweet. Find us on Twitter at MoneyMooUCF, at UCF underscore problems. And reply, you know, maybe turn on our notifications so you know when we tweet stuff because it's usually good. And reply. We get to all the questions, even sometimes the sarcastic ones, but all the actual good ones. Start off, Moo. What we got? First question is from Danny H. Should we use Wimbush more than once a game? I think he's a good weapon and worth more than one Wildcat play a game. He's obviously referencing the last two games. Brandon Wimbush has come into the game for one single play. Both plays have resulted in a negative two-yard loss. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the thing with a dual-threat quarterback is that they're a dual-threat if we put him in for one play, it's probably like 90% going to be a run. He's obviously not the best thrower. So I think we're kind of telegraphing our hand there. I wish it worked. I like the idea. I like it in creative, but it throws off our rhythm as an offense. You know, I don't like it. I totally agree. And and the whole thing about a dual threat quarterback is you're 110% right, dude. It's like when he comes to the game, he's not going to throw. Yeah, he's like not being end. a dual threat. Like, if he goes in for, like, a drive, which I don't agree with, but then at least he's actually a dual threat. If he's coming in for one play, we know it's, oh, Mimbush up the middle. Like, unless, like I said last week, we're just slowly setting up, like, some kind of crazy pass or something like that. But at this point... Well, if there was any time to use it, it would have been last week. Yeah. Which, by the way, why didn't we... I guess we didn't need a trick play. We, we got, like, up, and we just, like, didn't do anything. As Squints explained before. Next question from MD Knight 2016. Have we ever had a more trash broadcaster for a game than Rod Gilmore? Did you rewatch the full game? So I didn't rewatch the full game, but eh, we skipped around a little bit kind of when we got back from Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I saw some of the comments and and just the overall tone of Rod Gilmore. He kept talking. He's very anti-UCF. Yeah. And I, I'm not the one. I never called out Steve Levy, you know, no. when, when some people said that, oh, he wasn't calling the game right down the middle for LSU. He called it fair. The fans I think he that, called it fair. The fans that think he didn't were biased. But yeah, Rod, Rod Gilmore, I, I don't know. I usually give him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, as we heard from Steve Levy last year when we interviewed him, plug, yeah. plug. Yeah. Um. It's freaking hard to be <laughs> to call these it, games. It is, and you know, any little thing you say, everyone's gonna perceive everything negatively, because like people just think the announcers are always out to get them. So it's tough, I, dude. I don't know, man. If you don't like them, mute them. Like, who cares? Is it that big of a deal? No, I, I don't think so. I think we all have our own opinions, and what the announcers say aren't isn't gonna help change them. Like, you either agree with them or you don't. Yeah, I don't know. I really hope that they get. So I don't know if anyone was watching the Houston Tulane game from last week, but what a A-list set of commentators. Adam Amin from the 2017 War on I-4. He's good, dude. He gets jacked up for like a, I don't know, like a two-yard game. Yeah. Like, he's just always like 100%. One of, my, one of my faves, Adam Amin, and then you add freaking Pat McAfee to that. <laughs> even Ma- my even my wife was laughing yeah. at that. Dude, he's <laughs> Pat hilarious. McAfee is Awesome. The McAfee show. I thought he should have been on Monday Night Football. Uh, he's new to ESPN. He's only had like two games as an analyst, but he's really, really funny. Also electric on Twitter. 
really went crazy for louder milk last year. I hope we get them in like the conference championship oh, or awesome. maybe the two lane game or something like that. I definitely agree. Yeah, that's like night and day difference compared to yeah. uh, Rod. Rod Gilmore sucks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next question. All right. All right. This next question is from Golden Knight Two, also a top fan. Change of pace with this question. Come with a curveball here, props. You ready? Yeah. Why did you and Money Moo go to UCF? Was it by chance or intention? I mean, we didn't just like trip and fall into UCF. It wasn't like an accident. Um, are we telling him the truth here? Well, I mean, I don't know. You you tell me. Like, uh, I, I mean, feel like we both have different accounts of how we ended I, up here. I had always the only school I had ever wanted to go to was UF. I only looked at that school. I was like, oh, this school's good. It's you know good academically. I actually had really good test scores and a good GPA. So I applied there. I liked the tradition, whatever. Um, I don't know how I didn't get in. Best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and then one of my other best friends, you know, DJ Pav was like, oh, I visited UCF. Everything's like brand new and uh, yeah, really modern, big campus. Just got a football stadium. I'm like, all right, where do I apply? I apply, completely BS my application because I'd was kind of upset at this point and I like, didn't really care. Got accepted. And I was like, all right, I'll go. Whatever. Let's see what happens. <laughs> I never even, I sight unseen, I went to UCF. So that really, yeah. See, I never knew that. Oh, yeah, we, really? I mean, we've been good friends like since fourth grade. I didn't think, yeah, I that's the that's the truth. And when I, you know, I came up for orientation, I absolutely fell in love with it. I mean, okay, well, well that's pretty much the same thing that that happened to me is that I always wanted to go to UF. I unfortunately didn't get in as well. Parents are gators though too. Like my parents are also gators and you know UCF was never really on the radar. I had two cousins that actually went to UCF prior to me. And then I actually visited UF's campus. And then I visited UCF's campus within a couple weeks span and to be totally honest, this is before I received any acceptance letters. I just felt more at home at UCF. I really didn't feel I, I feel you there. You know, I UF I just felt like, like old and intimidating. It was very old. It wasn't. It was a little it more intimidating. intimidating yeah. UCF was like very open arms, very welcome. Now, truth be told, I also visited the USF campus. Whoa! And after I toured the stadium, or no, wait, I'm not. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. I'm not cutting that out. So wait, you? I toured the campus. <laughs> we did like a tour of the campus, and we stayed overnight. And like we went to Bush Gardens the next day. But before we went to Bush Gardens, we went out to my stepdad's car at the hotel. We stayed around, you know, kind of USF, Bush Gardens Fletcher, area. Fletcher, Fowler, right. whatever. Somebody broke into my stepdad's car. And, like, this was not like a Mercedes or anything. It had a 2001 Chrysler Sebring. He broke, someone broke into my stepdad's car and stole his serious radio. $50 value, like... It was unbelievable. I just couldn't imagine like this happening. And I, I honestly, I looked at my mom and I was like, nah. what is this place? It's like, in the, It really is in the middle of the ghetto. At the least. place was just trash. And after that, that's yeah. kind of where the hatred for USF <laughs> stemmed. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, I, I mean, that's it. I just fell in love with UCF and the rest is history. Yeah, the rest Best is just decision of my life. I had some friends that go to UF. You know, they said they had fun, but I, there's no way they had the experience that me and you had together there for the four it would, slash five years. It wouldn't have been the same because we would have been taking part in traditions and said we were like creating traditions. Right. 
I mean, like, you it, are le- you're legendary now. <laughs> well, even that aside, I mean, even before the Twitter and all that stuff, I mean, I walked out of UCF and I was like, I wouldn't have did this any different. No, like, it, hell it no. came out awesome. Absolutely that, not. That's before we were in good in football. That's before the first Fiesta Bowl. The rest is just icing on the cake. And uh, yeah, it's been a great ride. And I think, you know, just to go back on something else, it's like, you look at everything that's happened. It's like this one little one point road loss. Like, yeah. Big ain't, whoop. Ain't that look big at, look at the big picture. The big picture is freaking great, and it's just going to keep getting better. And yeah, I love this school so freaking much. Golden Knight too, man. Awesome question. I wish we got more. Let's get some more questions about yeah, like, reminiscing yeah. <laughs> and stuff. Love it. All right. This one's from Nico K. Rico. Thank you for your weekly questions. Can this UCF team pull what the 2013 team did, which was lose the fourth game of the year? 28-25 loss to South Carolina, who was ranked like number eight at the time. And then run the table, win the American, get to an NY6 bowl game, and win the game. What do you think? Well, I think earlier in the show, we pretty much laid the path out of yeah how we can get there. Awesome question, by the way, because dude was... It great research, yeah. I didn't... Great research. Dude was basically in our head, thinking what we were thinking, and... You know, it's definitely plausible. I mean, yeah. look, we laid everything out. Yeah, you know what's crazy about that 13 season? South Carolina was ranked like number eight or something at the time. And that was our only loss. And we still didn't get ranked until I think after we beat like number six Louisville. Even when we got to the Fiesta Bowl, we we're only ranked like 12, I think, maybe. Or 14 or something like that. But regardless, when you look at the whole body of work, we ended up finishing the season 12-1 and because there was no conference championship game at the time. And our one loss was to a top 10 team. If there was a playoff, we might have had a case that year. All I'm saying. But uh, yeah, great question. All right, this next question is from Matthew Smith. Which, oh, oh, do I have to say this one? Oh, man. <laughs> Which loss was more painful? The Duke game in basketball? Or Saturday's game? You know, it's funny because for like the first 12 to 18 hours after Saturday's game, I would have said Saturday's game without thinking, but that's just like an emotional reaction, not a logical one. It's the Duke game by far. I mean... Really? (laughs) It's the number one overall seed. After our first March Madness win, the best player to come out of college, the most highly touted since or to come out into the draft since LeBron James, and we almost beat him with Taco Fall, the tallest player ever. The storylines and the, the Coach K and the Dawkins and, oh, man, and, and then just how it happened. Actually, how it happened is probably equally as bad. Losing on a trick player, losing on the tip-in that like sat on the rim for an eternity. But overall, the Duke game, at the end of the day, that meant so much more. This game, like we talked about earlier, it stunk, but it's it's almost meaningless. We'll be fine, and winning that game probably wouldn't have... If we win out, our result will probably be the Cotton Bowl, which would have been the same as if we had beat Pitt. So, See, I'm taking the complete opposite side of this. The Duke game, what was the spread on the Duke game? Uh, 13. Yeah, so we're 13-point underdogs. We had no... And in college basketball, that's huge. We had no business even being close in that game, even winning that game. Pitt, on the other hand, we were anywhere from 10 to 13-point favorites. 
if you want to yeah. if you want to talk about a, a loss that hurts more, we were supposed to easily win this pit game. We were supposed to easily lose to number one Duke. Yeah, you're right. That this was. That's big. why I think so, that this loss on Saturday, even though we just spent the whole show saying that it's not a big deal, it's, it's so it much. is a bit. It is a worse loss if that's what the question was than the Duke game. And to rephrase it, what's worse, getting upset or almost missing an upset? Getting upset, one hundred percent. Sucks. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Almost, missing an upset, it's like oh, you weren't supposed to be there. Getting upset, it's like oh, you guys really dropped the ball. Yeah, I think it's more of like a what could have been for me. I mean, I I agree with your point. It just you know in terms of what could have been, the Duke game meant a lot more. But I I, I think you're right too. I don't know. How about they both stink? <laughs> but both also will not define our season. All right, this next question is from Mitch, Uncle Mitch. Will you be burning the pit t-shirt you purchase on Instagram Live? Oh, just read myself a question. No, <laughs> no, seriously, guys, I didn't buy it to destroy it. It's a collectible item. Like, a freaking school made a t-shirt to commemorate beating us. That is a huge milestone in, like, our brand and our achievement as a program. Like, I'm going to keep that thing and wear it proud. It has nothing to do with what? the loss. Are you, are you kidding me? You're no. actually going to wear that? Yes. Dude, don't let me be seen anywhere it's around cool you shirt. when that. Dude, when people like make clothing, because they okay, but you, you you just gave money to their athletic association oh, or yeah. whatever. Oh, they're twenty five bucks. You're gonna get like a. It's just stupid. Buy an extra tub of Gatorade powder. Like what? <laughs> it's just dumb. It's. I mean, dumb. it is. Pre- it oh. is pretty freaking fun. Oh, you getting loud with me? Yeah, because dude, we just bought front row tickets to that game. That gave money to the athletic association. Yeah, yeah, but you only stay for one half. So does it really count? Well, yeah, they got the full <laughs> amount. If anything, I gave them like more money. I paid for a full game and only got half's game worth. Um, I just think it's dumb. I don't know why you bought the shirt. I think it was a great laugh for all of us that we actually made it. We got we got you know to laugh at Pitt. But I'm I'm kind of mad, dude. Ten ten years from kinda now, kind of mad. You bought that stupid ass ten, shirt. Ten years from now, that'll be a uh, like a very collectible item, and you will. I'll, I'll make you eat your words. Ten no, ten years from now, when we win win a national championship, sometime in the next ten years, we'll look back at this stupid ass shirt that you bought, and we'll <laughs> laugh our ass off. All right, get out of here. All right, let's wrap this up. Anything else? Uh, we got some quick hits here. Obviously, you guys heard Derek King. And some other receiver for Houston, their second leading receiver on the team, decided to redshirt because the team started off one and three. I don't think they're transferring. They still could, but they said they're not for now. What are your thoughts on people using this redshirt rule that way? It's kind of strange, and I'd never really heard of it. Yeah, so last year, Kelly Bryant, I mean, he took him to the national championship loss, then losing his, loses his starting job in like week three to Trevor Lawrence, and he decides to transfer just because like he lost his job. I think it's just kind of, this was not the intent of the rule, and I think they're going to change it because clearly Derek King is just sitting because they started off the year one and three, and he's just like, he's pretty much quitting on the yeah. team. He's quitting on the team. So he's like playing N64, just hitting that reset button once yeah. you lose him. Yeah, he just pulled the power cord out. I don't like it. Interesting, though. I guess we'll see him next year then. You know, Houston might be the hardest game on our schedule next year. <laughs> 
I don't know why that's such a big news story of like, oh, what's our hardest game? What's our hardest game? Like, it's just our hardest time. game is the next one. Yeah, clearly. No, Every single week. Yeah. All right. Got actually one other question here. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being as bad as USF's offense, how bad were the Pitt fans after the game? I don't know. Well, first off, I was very lost after I walked out of the stadium. I didn't know like which way to go back to the hotel. Yeah. So I accidentally walked like halfway around the stadium outside and then realized that I was going <laughs> in the opposite direction of the hotel. Yeah. And I passed, you know, thousands of Pitt fans. And I really thought that, you know, I still have my shirt, my hat on, and I really thought that I would get a lot of, you know, yells or something. But Harassment, yeah. Really nothing, dude. Yeah. I, I think they were they were as dumbfounded as we were that they, that they actually <laughs> won. And, you know, something I've noticed, too, is, like, once you get out of, like, Florida for the most part, especially going up north, the fans are way more respectful. Not bashing on UCF fans, but... Other schools in Florida can be very disrespectful, and it's just really not like that, especially when you go to these these schools up in, in the Northeast. And actually, the Midwest are the best. So that doesn't really surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, even right after the game was over, I was sitting next to two pit fans and in front of a whole row of like group of like five guys. I turned around and shook everyone's hand, and I just said, dude, good game, man. You guys beat <laughs> us. They were... And that's the word I'll use again. They they were just dumbfounded yeah. at what happened. I mean, they just saw one of like the most epic games ever. You know, if we had come out, say we stop them on the trick play, <laughs> this is like this is in our you know top ten games ever. Yeah, huge comeback. So, uh, you know, being on the other side of it, I guess you know, if if we had won, I wouldn't be talking crap to any pit fan. I would, I'd be shaking their hands too, probably. So I, I get that. All right, let's wrap this up. Thanks so much again for listening, guys. Please be sure to. Leave us a review on iTunes. means a lot. We're still working on getting sponsors, but you know, every listen, every share, every time you tell a friend or something to listen to us, you know, we've been increasing our listener count every week, and this thing's really starting to get big, and it's really exciting, and we couldn't do it without you guys. So please take two seconds, you know, leave us a good review if you like us, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to all the people that we got to meet up in Pittsburgh. I just can't believe how big that this little podcast has started with basically nothing, just a random idea from Sean. And, yeah. you know, I got on board and it yeah. really came to fruition when I saw everyone out there in Pitt that, wow, man, like <laughs> there's so so, cool, so yeah. many of you that I, that I, I recognize just from your little profile pic on Twitter that we do so, we have so much interaction on social media and then finally getting able to meet, you know, everybody up there. It was awesome, man. So I just appreciate everybody that listens to this podcast. You know, you take time out of your day with whatever you're doing to listen to me and Sean and, <laughs> and UCF football. So yeah, I, I just thank you. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I can't make the UConn game. I actually, I'll be at the Saints-Cowboys game supporting Traquan, Tay Murray, and Tristan Hill, who actually had his first start last week. A couple really, really nice plays, too. Changes number to 97, so look out for him on Sunday Night Football, but I'll be at Wait, change his number? Yeah. Didn't you buy didn't yes. you buy his jersey with yes. his old number? <laughs> I'm very I'm very mad. Retro, bro. I know, the throwback. Um but yeah, Yukon game going to be fun night game as always and we will uh talk to you guys next week. Thanks again for listening. Go Knights. Charge on.
combination. combination. 